Romans 12, 9 through 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm so glad we were able to come together to worship God uh, and to uh, praise him together as a church family. Uh, let's bow down our heads and pray together again, uh, maybe more for my sake as we go into the word here. Father, we thank you for who you are and for always meeting with us, God. Thank you for your presence, God. Thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here. We pray, Lord, as we open up your word this morning that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear eyes to see, hearts to comprehend you, and what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God can heal generations. God can heal generations. It doesn't matter how old or how young, what life stage we are. We got to believe that, that God can heal generations. The healing of generations can start with your generation. We're nearing the end of a series called Living Life As, and it's been quite a journey for us that we've been going through since the beginning of July all the way now. Uh, we've talked about singleness, we talked about what married life is about, we talked about dating and sexuality and the purpose of sex and a lot of great topics. And today here we're talking about family uh, and conflict and how and what the purpose is of conflict in our families and how God can redeem us and our families uh, through it. Uh, just to give us a little bit more of a roadmap, we extended, we're extending the series just a little bit more uh, due to popular demand. I don't know how else to say it. Some of the other topics that have been brought up uh, to us next week, it is Labor Day long weekend, so we're going to talk about the theology of work. Uh, where does work fit into our lives? Why? What makes good work good? Uh, that's the sermon for next week. And then the week after, uh, September 11th, we're going to bring a little bit uh, talking about the theology of suffering. What is the purpose of pain uh, in our lives? Uh, and then going through the week after that, testing my memory here, talking about discipleship and mentorship, uh, how that plays a part in, in, a, in our lives. And also end of September, we have a sermon on uh, truth and reconciliation uh, th that weekend. So that's a little bit of a roadmap. Hope that excites you as it excites me in my preparation. But question I want to ask you this morning as we start off here is how was growing up 
for you, how did you and your family handle conflict? And we come from uh, various backgrounds here and different life stages and uh, different parts of the world as well. It may have been different for you. And we've gone through, uh, maybe for you, it was tough growing up. Uh, you think about maybe it was hard, uh, had hard conversations with your parents. Uh, you had hard uh, relationships with your siblings. Uh, it was just tough for you growing up. And maybe your family didn't handle conflict uh, very well. There wasn't a very good uh, conflict resolution. Uh, there wasn't a, a good conflict resolution that was practiced uh, in your, your life, uh, in your childhood. And some of this, uh, some of the pain that we've gone through in our history, good and bad, uh, forms us into who we are here today. And this is a picture of what's called the Bataille tree. It's a very fast-growing tree. Uh, they, they, I think they deem it a plantation tree where they harvest the wood. Uh, and, and it's mostly found in Southeast Asia, mostly in Malaysia, but it's all across that part of the world. And what's fascinating about this tree is, like I said, how fast-growing it is. That something, in, uh, something like in the first year, it grows 35 feet, which is quite fast. Uh, for a tree. I don't know, I'm not a master of the trees <laughs> by any means, but that's pretty fast. And why am I bringing this up is because that tree grows 35 feet in the first year, but it started off from this little tiny seed. And I believe for many of us that those seeds of hurt and pain that you've experienced growing up have been planted in our lives and they've grown up and maybe taken root in our lives. That comment your family member said or that person in school, what he or she said or that experience, that moment, uh, that death in the family, that moment that marked and scarred your life forever, that's what those, those seeds have been planted and have formed us here today. As it says in Hebrews 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 14 to 15, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But catch this, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. There's many, uh, there's been seeds that have been planted in our lives, seeds of lies, seeds of hurt and pain and trouble that have taken up root, these roots of pain. And this root, as we see in Hebrews 12, will do two things. It will, A, one, cause trouble, and number two, defile many. Cause trouble, there will be hardship from this continuing annoyance. Think about you're going for a walk or a run, that pebble in your shoe that causes that blister that keeps going. It's just constantly there until you take a break and take off your shoe and you let it rest. Or defile many, defiling meaning to pollute or to corrupt. So there's many things maybe in your own history that have formed us and it's grown into this tree here today that we're experiencing. And maybe we've gotten better over the years of masking it, not talking about the pain and not talking about the hurt. But the seeds and the pain and the hurt, it's, it's still there. You see, when it comes to our dating system, I'm talking about the, the way that we count our years. You think of B.C. and A.D., B.C. standing for before Christ, and A.D. standing for Anno Domini, uh, after Christ. See, this dating system was intended to indicate, what, a turning point in history. For us and for this dating system is before and after Jesus and his death and his life and his resurrection, Right? Well, I want to argue for us that we all have our own personal marked moments in our own history too, don't we? Don't we? It can feel like what Christian author and, and writer Lisa uh, Turkish coined in her book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget. 
before crisis. BC stands for before crisis, and AD stands for after devastation. That we also have these moments that have marked our lives, where we stay there, we transport ourselves back into those moments, blaming them and that person forever, defining your life by what he did, what she did, what he said, she said. And the more we do that, it increases this pain in us. Worse, it will keep us on projecting, it, 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 would, uh, it would force us to project that same sentiment onto other people. And we feel controlled by it. This pain, it consumes us and it controls us. And sadly, it's those who least deserve it when it consumes us, those people around us, they get hurt when it triggers us and we lash back because we have this unresolved pain. Now, today's sermon, it's about family and conflict, and maybe there would be triggering for, uh, for some of you. But it's really about handling conflict in general. Like these principles aren't just in our families, but it's for any kind of conflict resolution in our lives. And I'm going to try to make it as practical as possible, uh, giving some, uh, uh, some wisdom uh, that we glean from a scripture. Uh, and every time we open the word, it's theology about God, and all theology really is practical, and we're challenged to learn and to see what that means. And here today, what if, just imagine with me for a moment, what if we thought of our moments of conflict, those seeds that were planted, those moments of pain, what if we thought of our moments of conflict as crucible moments that form us and shape us towards and to become more like God? What if we thought of our families as crucibles in general? Our families as crucibles. You see, crucibles, it's a ceramic pod in which we, uh, well, which, which impure metals are placed into. And, and, and they're, they're under high heat. These impurities, they separate from the metal and they can be removed. Like, what have we thought about in that way? Like, our families, they're crucibles as well, that we're placed in them and we're being refined by our families. Under the intense heat of family relationships, our character is revealed. You see, I can have a great day at work, having coffee, conversations, and great moments. And moment I step into our house, all that can go away. Right? Ever been there in those moments? You had a great day. You go in and you're like, man, I'm going to lose it. Uh, this past Wednesday, uh, after a week, halfway through VBS, uh, our daughter, Ryan, she normally naps at 2. Without her nap, she changes into a whole different person that I do not recognize. So I brought her home. It was 3 p.m., uh, at 3-something or so, and she was just having a meltdown. She was totally breaking down, and she was getting her bath time, and Jess, my wife, was saying it's time to come out. She's like, no, you can't. I want my bath. And Jess is trying to take her out, and she finally does. She's trying to crawl back. And because she's feeling helpless and maybe she can't express herself, she just starts screaming. Like screaming, like I did not know such a small person can make such a loud noise kind of, of screaming. She's running all around the house. Ah! Running over the other side of the house. Ah! She's in the kitchen looking at the wall. Ah! Like she's just screaming on the top of her lungs. And Jess and I were watching her and just trying not to laugh. Because we're like, what is going on here? <laughs> Who has this person Become. But that's a funny moment, but there's other moments where I've just totally lost it. I'm burning in my own anger. I'm frustrated. And Jess is like, you know what? Our kids don't need a timeout. You need a timeout <laughs> right now. And you need to think about what you are doing. Why is that? Well, what if we thought about our families as these crucible, crucibles where God is really refining us? That in these moments, that our family, in the intense heat of our family in the relationships that we have, what if in those moments actually draws out our character 
and reveals to us the places that we need to be sanctified, reveals to me the places I need to be sanctified, and I need to be changed. You see, this family conflict, it starts with these seeds of sin, and these seeds can be offensive, it can, be, it can hurt people around us in our families. But my hope today is to remind you that, that God is at work, that God is at work in your family, that God is doing something new, He's moving still, he's still redeeming, that the call today is maybe for you and for me to stand in the gap in our families, to have faith, not in our own strength, but in God, that he is the one that's going to shift, that he's going to change something, that he's the one that's going to bring healing in a place, as we place our faith in Christ, that he's going to bring healing and transformation in our family. And maybe transformation and healing can start with your generation. And you might say, Doug, I don't, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the hurts and the pains that my family's going through right now. And that might be true. I don't know your context because you're living in it and the pain that you're going through. You might think, what's the use of trying to resolve any conflict because it's not going to change anything anyway because I've tried in the past. You see, there's a saying that says, there's a saying that time will heal all wounds. And some of us believe that. Just let it be. Just let it be, and time will heal all wounds, wounds, but that's not true. See, if you get a deep gash in your leg, and you say, just time will heal all wounds, that's not going to be true, because that's going to turn into an infection very badly, very quickly, and you're going to have to deal something about, deal with it, right? You need to clean that wound, you need to stitch it up, you need to bandage it, and for today, that's the kind of work we're talking about here, and I'm praying that God will take us in and clean us up and maybe stitch us some wounds and bandage us and bring us into a place of healing. Because what if we had this kind of multi-generational perspective when it came to family relationships? Now often we think of our pain and suffering as this moment right here, right now, but what if we had a little bit further perspective, a godly perspective of what God is doing, this multi-generational perspective that things could shift with me, with what God is doing in my own life. And of course, we want to resolve conflict right here, right now. We want pain to stop right here. But God's perspective, it's a lot wider. It's a lot greater. God sees further. God doesn't just want to heal that moment right here, though he will and he can. But he wants to heal generations. He wants to heal your whole family as well. As Dr. Chuck Stecker is a pastor and writer in the States, he says this, as Christian parents, talking about parenthood and family, connecting back to last week, as Christian parents, our prayer is that our ceiling will be our kids' floor. I'm going to read that again. As Christian parents, our prayer is that our ceiling will be our kids' floor, that don't we want to set things right generationally for our kids and the next generation to come. See, to see our work, see the work in our homes and families, in order to have this kind of perspective, we need to see this, this missional kind of work, that whenever we go into our families, that God is calling us to be on mission, to advance the gospel of the kingdom, to do kingdom work in our own families. And that's the big idea for us here this morning, that the healing of generations can start with your generation. And I know you're thinking, you don't know where I'm at in life right now, but I believe and I have faith that it doesn't matter how old or how young, what life stage we are, that God can turn things around. We know that from scripture. We know that from history. And the healing of generations can start with your generation. And the four major points for us today, let love be, in order for that to happen, four points, let love be the ruling principle. Number two, pray always, especially on tough days. 
Number three, enter into the feelings of the other. Number four, peace is needed in order to keep your family from falling into pieces. I worked very hard on that last sentence, uh, so I'm very proud of it. The context of Romans 12 is this. What we believe helps to determine how we behave. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, we had a series on this last year. Well, There's the whole idea of the whole series, uh, whole book of Romans is that what we believe helps to determine how we behave. In Romans 12 and 13, it's all about relationships. It's all about loving the people. It's all about applying the theology, applying what we know about God, what we know about Jesus, having the Holy Spirit in us, applying that in our lives. It's about this relational theology, referring to the idea that if we have this right relationship with God, it will lead to this right relationship with people around us. And we see chapter 12 being broken down in this way. 1 to 2 speaks about our relationship with God. Verses 3 to 16 speaks about our relationship to other believers. And then verses 17 to 21 speaks about our relationship to enemies or those that hurt, hurt us, those that we have conflict with. So how does the healing of generations begin? Point number one, let love be your ruling principle. Let love rule in your life through all decisions and actions that you make. Chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. This word for sincere, love must be sincere. The word means genuine, without play acting, so without hypocrisy. Let love not be, uh, don't live out hypocritically in your life. Let love be true. Don't, don't be hypocritical. Let this love you have be pure and true and genuine. Just like how God has loved you, you ought to go and love those around you, no matter the context, no matter how tough it is. And what, what, what does this kind of love look like? Well, Paul lays this out. That's what I love about Paul's writing in Scripture. It's very clear <laughs> in his writing. What does genuine, sincere love look like? Well, hating what is evil, clinging to what is good, being devoted, being all out to one another. That is what love looks like. Honor the other person above yourself, placing them above you uh, by loving them and thinking about their needs first. Keep your spiritual fervor, meaning keeping your passion in the forefront. And you do all this by seeing everything you do through the lens of serving God. That everything you do, even in your, in your walking, in your going, in your living, in your breathing, in your conflict resolution, in your conflict, let that be honoring to God. Let that be a way of serving God. And to love, as I mentioned, really means to think about the other person first. And that's so tough. It's so tough when you're in conflict, when you're in an argument, when things aren't good, when you're having, when you're, uh, having that tough uh, relationship with that person that you're thinking about in that moment to place their needs first. Come on, Doug. Hey, I'm not saying this is scripture <laughs> for one thing. But this is the way of Jesus. That when things get tough, that's especially when he loves the most. To love really means to, sincere love really means to think about the other person first. That if we had this kind of attitude in our lives, if this is the way of us living, how would that change our conflict? How would that change our families? So let love be the ruling principle in all things. Number two, pray always, especially on tough days. 
Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Just like how it's so hard to love and to think about the other person when you're in conflict, it's so difficult to pray when you're in conflict, isn't it? You're in conflict in that moment. You're like, just hold on a moment. Let me go into my prayer closet right now. <laughs> and just have a quiet moment with the Lord. It's so difficult to do that, especially when you're in conflict. But here's some tips for us. And this wisdom as we glean from scripture here. It says, to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These are words for us, especially when it's tough. When it's easy, yeah, everyone, we can repeat this verse from the mountaintops and shout it out, yeah, we'll do this. But on the toughest days, this is especially when it's true. What are we praying for on these tough days? We're praying when we're in conflict. We're praying for our own heart. Start with that. Praying with our own heart. Pray that God would soften our heart, that God would, would, would break down the pride in my own heart, that God would, would break down what's going on, the mess, and to work and to bring that out to the surface. See, when Jess and I, when, when, when we're fighting and when I'm arguing with, with her or when we're arguing with the kids and there's something else happening in our family, it's so hard to pray, God, soften my heart. Because often we're praying, God, fix him. God, fix her, fix that person, fix that situation. We, don't, we often say, God, fix that person, not bless that person. It's so hard, but, it's, but that kind of attitude starts from praying for our own heart. Praying that God will soften us and change our own, uh, change us. So pray for our own heart. Also pray for God. Again, as I mentioned there, pray uh, that God would bless that family member. That person you're in conflict with. This is revolutionary. Pray for those that are hurting you, that you're in conflict with, that you're struggling with. Romans 12, 13, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's what we read. Bless and do not bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Don't curse them, but you're to bless them. You're to thank God for them. God, I, we don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening in their life right now, but would you bless them? Would you just speak to them? Would you give them a peace and a hope right now in their own lives? Would you just speak to them and heal them? So pray for your own heart, but also pray for God to bless that family member. But pray for reconciliation as well. It's okay. There's nothing like sitting at the feet, right? That's literally uh, how we're doing this. <laughs> we pray for reconciliation, for moments. We, just, we pray for our own heart. We pray for, for the other person. But we pray for moments of reconciliation, that God would bring that person back to them, but also close to you. There will be a moment and a conversation for you uh, that would change them, for you to bring your relationship back to each other. And if it so leads to, to it, if it so works out, that you get a moment to pray with each other. That you get to sit down and pray and seek forgiveness and to pray for one another. Isn't that revolutionary? Pray always, especially on tough days, that you pray for your own heart, pray for a blessing, you pray for reconciliation, you pray for each other. Like that's so counter to the way of conflict in the world where we say, if you don't get along with someone, well, just leave it. Yes, there's moments where you might walk away, and we'll get to that in a little bit but to pray for the other person and to ask that God would do only what God can do. That's what prayer is about. It's aligning our hearts with God. So pray always, but especially on tough days. Number two. Number three, enter into the feelings of others. Romans 12, 14, bless those 
who persecute you, bless and do not curse. There's that verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I take this as living in harmony with one another. I take this to mean to enter into the life of the other. How do we live in harmony? Well, it starts by understanding the other person, what it is that they're going through. And some of us are better at it than others. Some of us are better at it than others. Why? Because some of us live in, uh, some of us are better at it than others because some of us are better at listening than others. That's the skill I'm really working hard at, as my wife would agree with. <laughs> Something really hard I'm working on, on as a here, living in harmony might mean listening better. In moments of conflict especially, we spend too much time trying to defend our own position instead of standing in the other person's position. Standing in their shoes. What did Jesus do? What did God do in John 1? He, the word became flesh and he what? In Eugene Peterson's words, he moved into the neighborhood. God put on his shoes. He took on the flesh of a human being. He moved into the neighborhood and he felt, he, and he felt what it's like to be a human being, to relate with me and for you. And there's no better way to understand how the other person is feeling unless we spend time listening. Listening to the other person. And maybe in our conflict, in our families, in our relationships, what if we hurt each other more? Not hurt. What if we hurt each other more, we would hurt each other less. What if we hurt each other a little bit more in what they're feeling, what they're experiencing? We would feel the pain of the other person. You see, when my kids... When they come and when my, my wife as well, when they come and they have something really important to say to me, but especially my kids, because when they're like, Daddy, 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 I have something I really want to tell you. I'm like, okay, okay, tell me. And most of the time it makes no sense. I, I don't really understand what they're saying. I'm trying to decipher the words. But I'm sitting there intently. I'm sitting there with them. This is why I have this mic here. I'm sitting there with them and I'm listening to them and intently looking into their eyes and they're connecting with me. In that moment, the joy that's in their eyes as unparalleled. That doesn't matter what they're saying. In that moment where I'm listening to them, I'm like, okay, that, you know, the fairy came, and then, okay, there's a, you know, a rocket, the next, you know. In that moment of connection, that's relationship. That's understanding. I'm trying to get into their heart. I'm trying to understand there. When we listen and hear each other well, there's a real joy in that moment. You see, God listens to us. God listens to you intently and fully. God listens to us because he loves us. And listening is not only a powerful way of living in harmony, but listening is a powerful way of loving, of loving the other. And maybe we can also say the other way, when we fail to listen, we're actually failing to love as well. We're failing to be in the other person's shoes. We're failing to love them as God would have us love them. In James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Do you catch that? Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. That starts first, and then it comes to speaking. Listening is a way of loving the other. And I've been trying to do this uh, over time, asking my mentors this question. How can I improve in, your, in my listening? Maybe this, are, this will work for you. How can you improve in your listening? First, it ask for feedback. That's a very humbling question. 
maybe ask someone that you trust, uh, ask someone that you trust in your life, hey, how's my, how are my listening skills? Try asking that question. And let's just see where that impacts. And of course, the other person has to be gracious, right, and how they explain that. Uh, try active listening. We, what do we do there? We reflect back a summary of what you've just heard. So my, my, my son comes up to me. He's like, well, there's a rocket going to space. And I'll be like, okay, okay. So there's a rocket uh, that's going into space wildly, really ex in an exciting way. But, but, uh, but, 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 and then th th this repeating that after him. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And th in the rocket, there's also a man. I'm like, oh, so there's also a man inside, inside the rocket. And he's like, yeah, and the man is, see, th it keeps going. As we affirm each other that I've heard what he has said. And also, in other ways, just ask questions. There's a man in the rocket. What's the rocket man wearing? Oh, he's not wearing, uh, he's wearing a spacesuit. I'm like, is there a helmet? This is a real conversation, by the way. <laughs> is, there a, is there a helmet? It's like, oh, he's not wearing a helmet. Well, how is he breathing? Hmm. See, a way of bettering our listening skills is asking for feedback, active listening, and asking questions. And maybe we can live in harmony with one another because so often we're, abra we're living in these abrasive relationships because we're missing each other. We're missing the deeper levels of our human soul and interaction. Because often what we're trying to communicate is deeper than what we're communicating. And it takes skill to really navigate through that. Lastly, peace is needed in order to keep the family from falling into pieces. Romans 12 verse 17 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Is it living... Here it says, uh, verse 18, if it is possible, to the best of your ability, as far as it depends on you, meaning as far as you have strength and you, you are responsible for your own actions, your own words, your own emotions, live at peace with everyone. What does living at peace look like? What does li living at peace look like? Living at peace, it might mean accepting the other person. Living at peace might mean accepting the other person. See, God doesn't only love you, God also accepts you. I'm not sure if you thought about that before. That God loves you, but he also accepts you for who you are. But he doesn't want to leave you as where you are. He wants to bring you closer to him, bring you healing in those aspects. But God doesn't only love you, but he accepts you. You didn't build up a certain kind of holiness or a certain Bible knowledge or after you prayed a certain amount of hours. You bumped into level so-and-so that God's like, okay, now I'll have a relationship with you. Now I'll love you. No, God accepts you as you are, brokenness and all. Your gifts and your strength and all, but your weaknesses and your growth, growing areas as well. In 1 John 4.10, we read this. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We didn't love God first. God loved you first because he wants a relationship with you and some of you and some of us and I need to hear this here today as well that Jesus is not ashamed of you he's not ashamed of you he wants relationship with you but some of us are in conflict and experiencing this generational conflict in our families because we're ashamed of our families there's a lot of shame going on in our families and maybe 
an item for you, a challenge for you here today is to accept the baggage that comes with our families. There's parts of our families, our family that we're embarrassed by, that we're ashamed of. But God's saying, bring that to me. Yes, that happened and that pain is real. But bring that to me. This baggage goes with many names, issues, problems, dysfunctions, addictions, unhealthy patterns, wounds, difference, all sorts of sins that I know my family has, and maybe you can think of your family as well. Everyone and every family is full of them. But it's just accepting them and bringing that towards God. That's where healing begins. And this doesn't mean we don't confront. I'm not saying just accept the hurtful behavior, or I'm not saying don't set up healthy boundaries. That's not what I'm talking about here. Acceptance doesn't mean we're blind to the brokenness or the sin and the acceptance. Acceptance doesn't mean approving of the pain of the suffering, of the sin that's going on. Acceptance doesn't mean we remain silent as well. It simply means accepting the fact that the person in your family, in the situation in your family, that's just the baggage that comes with it, with the family that you have. Making peace with that. That God, this is part of my history, and I'm leaving that with you. See, as followers of Christ, we, we live in this higher, highest level where we don't just return good for good because anyone can do that. We return good, uh, return good for evil. The evil and the pain and the suffering that's happening in our lives, a godly way of looking at that is to return it with good. And that's the challenge here today. And maybe that first step is just accepting and realizing that. See, if we listen and if we have a heart of peace, we'll see that even in the moments of conflict, the other person has needs too. And the passage continues on this way. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. If in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is the command for us today. Maybe in order for you to do that, it's just to accept the situation, to embrace that part of your history and to leave that before God. Also, living at peace might also mean forgiving the other person. Forgiving that person that's hurt you, that's caused pain in your life. In Colossians 3.13, and again, Paul reverberates the words in Ephesians 4.32, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone else. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In the same way that we, God has forgiven us, we're to live out that attitude and that action in everyone else's life. And this week, it was VBS, as Jocelyn, our chair, just shared. And thanks to everyone for serving and pouring out your hearts as some of the kids uh, poured out some of their vomit, true story, uh, this week, our, 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 volunteer, our, our, our people serving really gave their all as they cleaned up uh, the mess uh, and cared for our kids. But the story this week was monumental love that God has uh, and how the story of Joseph, how he was betrayed by his brothers, sent to be sold into slavery and left out to die, how Joseph, because of his relationship with God, still was able to love his brothers and forgive them, even though they tried to sell him. I did sell him uh, to, 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 to slaves. I left them out to die. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. That's the kind of forgiveness that we receive in God. There's three phases of forgiveness that some psychologists and counselors will recommend. Phase one, 
is forgiveness with the will that in your own mind you decide that I will forgive. And I will forgive that person. It hurt me to acknowledge that there was pain and suffering there. So you acknowledge that. It hurt me when, but you decide and you choose that you will forgive. And then phase two, this forgiveness of the heart, that even though this is still tough, you're praying that God help my heart to forgive this person, to let them go, uh, to forgive them of what they have done to me. Phase three is reconciliation. If it's possible to bring us to a place of forgiveness. No, it's all good. Don't worry about it. This is church. This is what it means to be part of a family here. Um, it's possible for God to bring us to a place of complete forgiveness of complete reconciliation, that we pray for that, that God not only help us forgive with the mind, with the will, but forgive with our heart, but forgive physically as well, to be in front of the other person. And I've lived this in real time, and I've shared this story before, where it was in, my, my parents come from a, I come from a divorced family, my, my dad left us when we were six years old, my brother was a year and a half, and we moved to Asia. And, we came, and when we came back, life was tough. It was hard. I lived, and I might have been really joyful as a kid, and that joy as I've worked with my counselor, with my mentors, and many people in my life, that joy and that happiness, that laughter, was really just masking this anger. I didn't know how to deal with this anger that was burning deep within my soul. So I, I laughed a lot. I joked a lot. I didn't take life very seriously. I took it out in sports. People are like, Doug, when you play sports, you're a whole different person. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because the history of my anger is coming out. <laughs> coming out when I'm making that drive towards the basket. Uh, th th that's what's fueling me. And I remember my dad, I've seen him a handful of times since then and through high schools a few times as well. But in his first year university, a second year university, he came back to Vancouver. He gave us a call and said, hey, Doug, like I'm back in Vancouver. I'd love to have a meal with you and to catch up. And everything in my soul and in my being did not want to go because I knew if I went, I would just lay a fist into his face and it was in that moment I was praying, I was talking to my mentors, and Jess at that time was redating, just challenging me, and reading verses like, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm like, God, I can't. I can't do that. I can't. I don't have the strength. I'd rather not see him. But as the weeks went on, I felt this passage convicting me, that I felt the forgiveness come in the will. Okay, God, I'll forgive as you're forgiven. I felt God releasing my heart from the anger and the bitterness that was happening inside of me. And I went to, to that dinner. I went to that dinner and no, things weren't all rainbows and butterflies at that moment. But I was able to explain, to share how God is in my life now. And the only reason I'm here is because I'm standing on the foundation of Christ and not my, my own strength. That I'm here to say, I forgive you. That I have forgiveness in my heart for you and for what's going on. Was everything good after that? No. Have I seen him again? Once. Once since, since then. But my life has changed radically that God has loose and broke the chains as we were singing in our worship set earlier. That he broke the chains of bitterness and anger as he helped me to forgive. See, I needed to accept the fact that there was this deep and chronic and a deep, a chronic brokenness and dysfunction in my family. Where out of my five uncles and my dad's side, four of them are divorced and married more than three times. That I have to accept that as part of the baggage. And I realize that the healing, like I'm getting a little bit closer uh, to who God has made me to be, 
when I was able to go to a wedding at my dad's side a couple of weeks ago where all my uncles were there. Jess, my wife, was saying, are you sure you want to go? Is it going to be triggering for you? It's going to be hard? I'm like, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to be okay because God is with me. God is in my heart. He's healing. And I saw that shift going on in my heart. And maybe living at peace, it's not just with your own family members, but you're able to live at peace with yourself as well. Psalm 105 says this, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. What if healing can start with your generation? That as the challenge in my family, I'm not saying I'm the savior by any means in our own family. But our family now started with one Christian. And now God is doing, I believe, a revival work where people are coming to faith and seeking forgiveness and seeking reconciliation and healing from him. What if God can, if you want, for, for him to do the same kind of miraculous work in your own life. Because God can do miracles. He's faithful to a thousand generations. We think of how the Bible, he brought even tougher, tougher relationships back, back together and reconciled those. We think of the Jews and the Gentiles, how they've come together in, in, the, in the scriptures. We think of Jacob and Esau. I don't know if you have a sibling that literally wants to kill you. If you do, that's terrible. But here in scripture, Jacob and Esau, literally Esau wanted to kill his brother. That's how bad that relationship was. But even then, God was able to bring them back together. Or the greatest reconciliatory work that God has ever done, God and man, bringing God and man back together. Bringing us back to Jesus because of what he has done on the cross for me and for you. Bring us back to him forever. Generational healing of trans uh, healing and transformation could start right here, right now, in your specific family, in your family tree, this moment right here. Because what, what things that Satan intended for evil, God actually can take that for good. We know that. We know that from Scripture. And as you look into the garden of your family, going back to that seed analogy as I'm ending here, as you look into guarding your family, extended family, maybe all you can see at this moment is this seeds and weeds of conflict and rocks of anger and distance and abuse and addiction. You see more rocks and more weeds than there are there is soil. And maybe you feel like your ministry and your family is nothing more than pulling weeds and breaking rocks. Have faith how that's going to change the generations to come. That in your weeping and you're coming you're going and you're struggling in this moment, you're breaking the rocks and the weeds for the generations to come in your family. No one believed that God is doing something, that he's doing a new work in you and in your family. And I don't think this is only true for our own immediate family, but our church family as well. As you go and do that hard work. And what if we had this longer vision for our families and for our churches as well, in your struggle, in your coming, your going, that we're setting the pace and we're setting the path ahead for the generations to come? What if we believe that Christ and his Holy Spirit will come and flood our church and our lives, that God will use me starting today to change someone else's life down the road, someone that I will never meet, someone that I will never see, because of a decision 
that we decided on today to stand in the gap for them. How would God change your perspective if you knew your actions today would change the generations to come? Because generations can change when God shows up. And he can start with you. Father, we thank you that you are faithful through a thousand generations, that you don't leave us in our pain and in our brokenness, and God, in our lives. And some of us here today, God, there is so much pain and so much brokenness and so much hurt. So, Father, I pray that you would come into our life, that you would bring us healing, that you would bring us back to you and help us to see the hope, God, that you give. And Father, for some of us, Lord, you're already invaded in our lives and you, we have seen the goodness of your work. So God, may our lives just be a doxology, a praise of you and what you're doing. And may that continue for generations to come. Father, thank you, Lord, that when you show up, when you come into the room, everything changes. And we pray, Lord, that you will come now again, that we will hear you for the rest of our lives and to have a relationship with you, and to know that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.